Modern. 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 We're prepping for a voyage. Modern. The force of an old-fashioned equals whiskey mass times bitters acceleration. Why don't you make that a double? Modern Bar Cart. What's shaking, cocktail fans? Welcome to episode 107 of the Modern Bar Cart podcast. I'm your host, Modern Bar Cart CEO, Eric Koslick. Thanks for joining me for this little in-between episode where I'm going to give you a preview of a cocktail industry conference and trade show called Tales of the Cocktail. I and the rest of the Modern Bar Cart squad are going to be rolling into Nolens, Louisiana for this event very soon, weather permitting, which we'll cover towards the end of the episode here. And I wanted to share this experience with you, our home listeners, because I think it's one of the coolest cocktail-focused events that takes place in the world, period. The nice thing is that it's not just for bartenders, distillers, and brand reps. Yes, they do make up a large volume of the attendees, but there's also a great deal of home enthusiasts who attend the conference, and that's why I want to run through the basics with you here. My goal is for you to get a really good sense of what Tales of the Cocktail is, then check out our video and audio coverage of this year's event as it rolls out over the next few weeks, and finally decide if this is the sort of thing you might want to attend in the future. We paid for plane tickets, hotel rooms, and seminars, and you get to just sit back and be a fly on the wall and soak in the highlights. But before I spill all the juicy details, let's take a really, really thorough look at this episode's featured cocktail, which is the Mighty Sazerac. Now, obviously, when you're talking about New Orleans, the Sazerac is absolutely the first cocktail that springs to mind. It's legendary. It's the old-fashioned that somehow managed to be cooler and more delicious than the old-fashioned, which is quite a feat indeed. But many questions arise when discussing this legendary tipple. Where and when did it phylogenetically branch off from the old-fashioned? What's the proper recipe, considering that multiple interpretations of this drink exist? And what role does it play in the history of the American cocktail? To begin answering these questions, I think we need to start with the city of New Orleans, its heavy French influence, and its original spirit of choice, brandy. If you were paying attention in history class, you'll know that New Orleans came into United States ownership in the year 1803 with the Louisiana Purchase, arguably one of the best real estate deals in history, at least for us. So as reason would dictate, there was a healthy French and Creole population in the city of New Orleans and a lot of trade ties with France, even after the territory was ceded fully to the United States. As a result, for the first half of the 19th century, this preferred spirit of New Orleans was French brandy, grape distillate, which by all accounts at the time was often aged in charred oak barrels, a practice relatively new to the spirit's world. So as we move forward in history here to the days of the Sazerac, let me make one thing abundantly clear. Barrel-aged spirits became popular around the same time that the city of New Orleans began to exert its drinking culture upon the surrounding areas of the United States. 
This is where things get complicated, hairy, and a bit indistinct. It seems like every contemporary bourbon brand named after an old white guy has some sort of story about when the rickhouse burned down and they discovered that charred barrels were the future. But I think there are other, perhaps more plausible reasons why American distillers started putting their juice into charred oak barrels. My two leading hypotheses, supported by existing scholarship, are as follows. A, because France and Scotland were already leading the way with barrel aging, soon to be followed by Ireland. So it made sense for American producers to do the same in order to compete with foreign spirits in their domestic market. And then B, think about barrels. To this day, they remain a relatively expensive commodity. In order to form them into their characteristic shape, you need to heat the staves which is a process that, especially before technology took over, was very prone to human error. This could be the happy accident that led to charred oak barrels, but so could the process of repurposing a barrel that had previously held something a little objectionable, like maybe fish, for example. So to purge this barrel of its former character, you'd put it to the torch and fill it anew. So to recap, by the middle of the 1800s, New Orleans was a French-influenced town exerting its preferences on American whiskey makers who were sending barrel-aged spirits down the Mississippi to compete with French brandy when one crucial event occurred, the phylloxera outbreak of the 1850s. Phylloxera is a topic that's near and dear to my heart because, in my opinion, it's one of the pivotal moments in spirits and cocktail history. What happened was some British scientists course, we're going to blame the British here, took samples of North American grapevines and rootstock and transported these samples back to Europe for experimentation. But little did they know that they had a stowaway in the form of the phylloxera nymph. This is a pesky little bug that feeds on vines basically until they die. And although American grapes had the opportunity to develop some immune responses to this organism over the centuries, no European grapes could withstand the sudden onset of the blight. As a result, the ensuing 20 years was a sad time for grape growers across the pond, and correspondingly, the wine and brandy industries were all but wiped out. If you're following along at home, you'll notice the curtains parting to allow for the dominance of U.S.-made whiskey in the New Orleans market for the first time following the 1850s. And that little opening provided by phylloxera was all American whiskey needed. Combine this with the turmoil of the American Civil War in the 1860s, and we have a drinking and social culture that's primed for a shakeup in the 1870s and beyond, with new social structures emerging, new families and financial interests taking hold, and the frontier moving beyond New Orleans to the boomtowns of the Midwest, Texas, and the West Coast. This was a time when railroads crisscrossed the nation and when telegraph wires revolutionized communication. It was a time of rapid expansion westward. The Manhattan and the Martini rose to power following the influence of French vermouths and London dry gins. Things began moving faster and faster, and in the drinking world, two classes of people arose. There were those who didn't appreciate the watering down of the cocktail with lots of prissy ingredients, and there were those who embraced the rise of elaborate pre-prohibition creations wholeheartedly. 
The Sazerac stands betwixt these two groups as a drink that bridges the gap between the past and the future of what the cocktail would become. According to David Wondrich in his book Imbibe, quote, The Sazerac wasn't just an improved whiskey cocktail, it was the improved whiskey cocktail. The Sazerac took what for the rest of the country was a quick station stop on the cocktail's hurtling progress from that watery thing they were making in the Hudson Valley, read the Manhattan, to the icy, streamlined, dry martini, perfected it, understood it, and learned its secret name. When the rest of us went whoring after vermouth and orange juice and other adulterants, or locked our tastes down to highballs and old fashions, they, the people of New Orleans, stuck with what they knew was good. End quote. The reason why I paint this picture with heavy assistance from Mr. Wondrich is to explain why the Sazerac is what the Sazerac is. It's an in-between cocktail, more adventurous than an old-fashioned, but more conservative than the French-inspired vermouth-powered cocktails that flooded in during and after the 1870s. In other words, when it first appeared in print in the late 1890s, the Sazerac had a firm grasp on where it came from, but also a comfort with free play and experimentation in the ingredients category. And I think this would be an ideal time to talk about what those ingredients are. To make the Sazerac cocktail, you'll need two ounces of rye whiskey or cognac if you're a Frenchy McFrench face who's still mad about phylloxera, one sugar cube or a half ounce of granulated sugar, several dashes of a Creole-style aromatic bitters like Peychaud's bitters or our very own Embitterment aromatic bitters, and absinthe. In a mixing glass, soak your sugar cube with several generous dashes of bitters. Basically make sure it's completely soaked through. Then add a tiny splash of water and muddle the mixture until you've got an aromatic slurry that's partially dissolved. Then add ice and your whiskey and stir for about 20 seconds until properly diluted and chilled. Then in a rocks glass, add about a half ounce of absinthe and coat the bottom and inner sides of the glass by kind of rolling it around. Then it's up to you, discard, shoot, or return the absinthe to its bottle as you please. Add ice to your rocks glass, strain the cocktail into that absinthe rinsed vessel, and garnish with an expressed lemon twist. You'll notice that the process I just explained is much more complicated than a traditional old fashioned, and this is due in large part to the absinthe rinse. Absinthe, for those of you who don't know, is now legal again in the United States. It was banned in a number of places around the world because there was bad evidence out there that it made people hallucinate and do crazy things, but these stories have been largely discredited by good science over the years. But back in the days when the Sazerac came to power, it was just another one of those French spirits that was in vogue, and so of course it found its way into the cocktail. In the few days following this podcast, we're going to release a video on our brand new YouTube channel burr, 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 discussing various ways you can incorporate the absinthe into your Sazerac. Of course, there's the glass rinsing method I just described, but it just feels a bit wasteful for me to pour a bunch of sweet, delicious absinthe 
into the drain that I just used to coat a glass, right? Why do I have to throw it out? This is where one of my favorite esoteric cocktail tools comes in, the atomizer. This device is designed to spray a fine mist of something fragrant, like a perfume or, hey, perhaps an absinthe, over a distributed surface area. So you can see how it might be even more attractive, cost-effective, and aesthetically pleasing to mist the inside of your glass with absinthe before making your Sazerac. Now, there's arguments on either side of the debate, with most purists leaning toward the absinthe rinse for reasons I don't quite understand, but I'm sure they have good reasons. But that is exactly why we're going to publish a video in the next day or two here so you can check out both methods and decide which one is right for you. The last thing I'll mention regarding the Sazerac formulation is the lemon twist. This is another departure from the old fashioned, which employs an orange twist. And really, this change is due to the dark anise flavor profile of the absinthe and the Creole style bitters. In my view, the lemon is designed to emphasize that this drink is hard to pin down. If you're indulging in a fine dark whiskey, there's a brooding anise flavor in the background, and before that absinthe gets the chance to steal the show, the lemon oil swoops in like a golden ray of light from heaven. The Sazerac is grounded, but it doesn't sit still. It's a momentary respite from reality, but it has its finger on the pulse of the world. That's why I love it, and it's why I enthusiastically encourage you to sample one in the comfort of your own home, or even better, in New Orleans, the Crescent City, next time you visit. So, now that you've received your 10-minute crash course on one of history's most important libations, let's talk about New Orleans's premier cocktail conference, Tales of the Cocktail. Reading straight from their website, quote, Founded in 2002, Tales of the Cocktail has grown from an annual walking tour of historic New Orleans cocktail bars into the world's premier cocktail festival. Each year, the international bar and spirits industry is welcomed to New Orleans for a week of seminars, tastings, networking, and special events. With hundreds of opportunities developed specifically for bartenders, distillers, and other bar and spirits professionals, Tales of the Cocktail is the industry's annual meeting place for the exchanging of new ideas, products, and techniques. End quote. Now, I'm not sure if you're the kind of person who attends conferences regularly in your line of work, but if you are, I want to paint the correct picture for you regarding Tales as it's affectionately referred to in the industry. This isn't the sort of event that's held at a big, dumb convention center. In fact, it's historically been held at some of the most historically important, and not to mention beautiful, hotels in the French Quarter of New Orleans. This year, it's based out of the Royal Senesta Hotel, which had previously hosted kind of like satellite seminars. And in the past years, it's been based out of the Hotel Monteleone right around the corner. So if you're concerned about putting on miles and miles of walking in a generic mega building, you've got the wrong idea. The next point I want to make is about the high quality of the education they offer in the form of their seminars. These are one to two hour panels and tasting crash courses you can attend on any number of subjects, from spirits to bar management, to cocktail science, to history, and beyond. Just to give you a core sample, my seminars for this year are as follows. Two tasting seminars, one called Liquid Apples, where we'll get to taste apple brandies from all over, 
and another called So You Think You Know Mezcal, which seems pretty self-explanatory. Then I've got a seminar on the history and theory of cocktail menu design, and finally to round things out, a seminar on how to cost out a cocktail at a given bar, basically the theory behind what cocktails cost. Obviously the first two are focused on tasting and really digging into the nuances of a specific spirit category, and the other two seminars are a little bit more espionage-type work that I'm doing to continue providing you, our dear listeners, with bar hacks you can use at home based on first principles from the actual bar industry. In the past, I've attended seminars on the future and science of citrus, podcasting for bartenders, which is the genesis of this podcast, and tasting seminars where I got to try rare chartreuse products and even a cognac from 1914. And the cool thing is, if you spend a nominal amount of money on seminar tickets, we're talking just above $100 here, so roughly two to three seminars, you get a wristband that allows you free and unlimited access to all the tasting rooms that are running in the rooms adjacent to the large seminar halls. This is where you can go to meet distillers and mixologists who are sampling out their wares for all to taste. So literally, from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. every day of Tales of the Cocktail, you can enjoy premium education, free spirits and cocktails, and all that the great city of New Orleans has to offer. Now, with great trepidation, I do have to add one caveat to this episode because there's currently a tropical system headed in the direction of New Orleans that has the potential to disrupt travel and commerce in the city if it happens to escalate into a serious storm and overflow the levees. We don't like to talk about these things happening, but with global warming and all this jazz, you know, it's going to happen more and more often, unfortunately. So please send good vibes out to Jesus or Poseidon or whomever your your go-to hurricane reduction deity might be. But rest assured, if there's any chance that I can get down there and chronicle this epic event for you, I absolutely will. I hope you enjoyed this Big Easy inspired episode on the Sazerac and Tales of the Cocktail. Please be sure to check out our social media and the show notes page for this episode in the few days after it launches for a video tutorial on how to make the Sazerac at home. And hopefully the next time you hear from me, it'll be from the beautiful city of New Orleans. Cheers. Hey everybody, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, there's two big things you can do for us here at Modern Bar Cart. One would be to tell your friends and family if you think they'd enjoy listening to us talk about cocktails. And if they don't download podcasts, they can always stream our episodes on their desktop directly from the show notes page at modernbarcart.com. The other thing you can do to help would be to head on over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review. Five stars are great, but we're more interested in your feedback. And the beauty is, the more reviews we have, the easier it will be for other folks out there to learn about our show. We're trying to start a cocktail revolution here, and by spreading the word, you're helping us fight the good fight. You can always reach us by emailing podcast at modernbarcart.com if you're looking for cocktail or bartending advice, or if you're a pro who would like to pull up a mic and be interviewed for all to hear. 
Also, definitely follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Modern Bar Cart for cocktail porn, recipes, and entertaining tips. And keep an eye out for new product releases and special offers, which are happening all the time. We love our listeners, and we really enjoy giving you exclusive discounts and sneak peeks at our latest and greatest cocktail projects. This episode may be over, but for you, the mixological fun and adventures are just beginning. So remember, folks, drink responsibly and experiment boldly. This episode was made possible with editing and production assistance by Samantha Reed and a little bit of Sazerac Slingin' Magic by yours truly. This has been a Modern Bar Cart production, copyright 2019.